0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Ever have trouble holding someone or yourself accountable? If so, you're going to want to up-level your game, and we've got David Tate on the program to help you do just that. If you don't know David, we've got you covered. He's a licensed clinical psychologist and an assistant clinical professor in psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine. He also speaks in the business college. He's also the author of a new book, Conscious Accountability, deepen connections, elevate results. And we're going to get deep into that today. David's a great guy. His ideas are fresh and he's just fun to hang out with. This conversation was a blast and I think you're going to dig it. So buckle up TCBers, grab your favorite cocktail and let's get right on into it with David Tate on today's TCB.
1: Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender,
0: where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Well, Lori, what do you think? Should we get on into it? Do it. Let's do it. All right. All right. Welcome, everybody. It is good to see you all. It is your favorite day and mine. It's Wednesday. That means it's Corporate Bartender Day. It's the 15th of March, 2023, and this is the 162nd time that we have convened this group of awesome people. And if you're not here today and you couldn't make it, we're glad you're listening right now. Today's going to be a fun day. We've got a guest. Our guest is David Tate. He's the person that you don't recognize in the top corner of your Brady Bunch view. He's the author of a book called Conscious Accountability, Deepen Connections, Elevate Results. We were talking in the pre-show about accountability being one of those issues that pretty much all teams struggle with. Um, And he's got a a system and and just an idea about accountability that's a little bit different than the traditional. So we're going to spend a little bit of time digging into that. Um, And as David can appreciate, because he's selling a book, so are we. (laughs) If you haven't bought yours. I have to say it every time. Morag's not even here today, but I will ask it anyway. Buy that book because I'm a pain in the ass. And it's a pretty good book. It's called You, Me, We, Why We All Need a Friend at Work and How to Show Up as One. We've got guests aplenty coming up. We've hit the return to work topic about 50 times, I think, in the last three years. Um, On the 29th of March, we've got Bob Johansson. He's the author of a book called Office Shock creating better futures for working and living. It's about the idea that it's bigger than hybrid and RTO. It's kind of like that work-life blend conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago. We've got uh Tai Gibson on the fifth. She's the author of attachment theory, a guide to strengthening the relationships in your life. And we all know that that's near and dear to our sky team hearts here. Relationships. Uh, our buddy Alan Hudkins is going to be here on April 12th, talking about his book "Cracking the Leadership Code," and then we've got Randy Roberts, the hippie with an Ivy League education, on April 26th. So we've got guests of plenty, lots and lots of things going on. But today, today it's it's all about our friend David Tate and David. David is a licensed clinical psychologist and assistant clinical professor of psychiatry in the Yale School of Medicine. He also works in the School of Management. He's written this book called Conscious Accountability, Deepen Connections, Elevate Results, and is also uh, the CEO of Conscious Growth Partners, a consultancy that focuses on leadership development. Which is also near and dear to our hearts here at Sky Team. So mm-hmm. let's give David Tate a big TCB welcome, shall we? <laughs> nice we
2: dance dancing. Every- yeah. See, we <laughs>
0: dance everybody onto the program, David. That's how. That's how we roll here.
3: <laughs> I'm loving that. That's my only way to enter, as far as I'm concerned. It's the best
2: way.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for being here with us today. It's wonderful to have you. Um. Before we get into the book and, and your methodology and the ideas that are a little bit afield from traditional accountability, um, I don't imagine that as a child, you thought this is where you would end up as an expert in accountability and, and out there pushing new ideas about it. How did you get from being a child to being here with us today? You can start wherever you want.
3: Um, well, The way i like to think about it is i was um the kid uh, i remember being a kid on the bus or the kid in homeroom in junior high and i remember um kind of just listening to um the kid next to me telling me about the fight they got into with their parents or the breakup that they had with their girlfriend or boyfriend and i didn't remember saying very much just kind of listening and at the end of these conversations they'd say thank you so much that was really helpful and i thought what did i do i just sat here but then, like, oh wait this is there's a career here this is called psychology and like you know, <laughs> That's um,
4: awesome.
3: so i i knew pretty early on that that was the path i wanted to to go down um it, it ended up kind of morphing a little bit um along the way um at first i was going to be a therapist and then i got to grad school and i thought oh my gosh research this is so interesting you can sort of figure out what makes people tick and actually create studies and kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, learn and create, you know, knowledge for the world. And so that was exciting. Um, And then um, after I finished my training, I was doing a a postdoc and I was I was on the research faculty at Yale for a couple of of years. And I was doing some really cool work kind of really uh, on, on important social issues and challenges like domestic violence and working with kids in the juvenile justice system and people with HIV AIDS and um, so was doing really great work but was finding that being a researcher means to to get ahead you have to um, write lots of write grants Mm -hmm. and publish papers and I kind of liked having written in the past tense um, Mm -hmm. more than writing in the present tense. And the idea of like making a living by writing just was like, you know, didn't didn't feel like it was really um, filling my heart. Right. So I took a sabbatical, like a kind of an unpaid leave from Yale for six months and kind of did a bunch of traveling and soul searching and kind of realized that the thing that um, really lit me up was being using myself to kind of create some kind of change. and. um Where was the coolest place you
0: went on your sabbatical?
3: Ooh, coolest place. Um, uh, I'd have to say New Zealand was pretty cool. That's cool. Um, I, I, you know, I was like totally, I saw the Lord of the Rings and I was, and I was like, it was filmed in New Zealand and I I must go (laughs) here and see and check this out. Like where was Frodo and doing all this. (laughs) So. (laughs) <laughs> um, so that was, yeah. So that was definitely an amazing, amazing place. Um, but it was on a park bench in Barcelona where I realized, you know what research is not going to be the thing that floats your boat. Mm. It's going to be something else. You're, you have to find a different way to be a psychologist. So I came back, I did a bunch of networking. I ended up meeting someone who was doing family business consulting. So Ooh. working family owned companies That's where their- they're tea. Yes, it's and it's a, it's a it's a challenging spot for interpersonal and group dynamics as you can imagine. Um maybe some of you have done coaching and work with family-owned companies.
0: <laughs> oh, my first job was working in my family's business. It is a hot <laughs> right. mess, family businesses. I can t- I can attest.
3: There you go. So, <laughs> but from there, it was um, leadership coaching, like working with the next generation of folks who were rising and helping equip them with the skills and mindsets they needed to be in the leadership chair. Um, once you're working with leaders, you're also whether you're aware of it or not, working with their teams. Mm-hmm. And so, did did a, lo- a bunch of training on like team coaching and 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 working with teams, um, and then. Um, in 2016, a colleague of mine at, at the School of Management invited me to come teach a course on interpersonal and group dynamics, mm. uh, which is, was a very popular elective and which he was working to scale. So I've been involved in teaching that course, as well as a course on global leadership um, with students who come from around the world, helping them get better at working across cultural and other kinds of um, difference. Um, uh, and as you know, as you're aware, the we're seeing more and more global virtual teams and having to um you know figure figure that out how to do that well. So yeah. um so so that's that's kind of where you know uh you know how how I got to where I, where I am I guess for your the origin story as it were. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love it. I love it. In the in the the global leadership course that you're you're doing right now, I'm curious, what is the 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 most pervasive issue that you're seeing with these global virtual teams? What's the biggest challenge they're facing?
3: Um, There's a number of challenges that that are unique to to global virtual teams. Um, You know, some of it is, you know, it it ranges from, um, you know, language fluency issues and people not fully understanding each other. um, And, you know, something as sort of basic as that Um, cultural differences in communication styles. And decision-making styles mm-hmm. so with some um uh you know cultures preferring to communicate in more subtle and indirect ways oh, versus okay. those that are okay. very direct and very like kind of blunt yeah. um and then decision so, some preferences for like a vertical decision-making style versus others that have preference for a more democratic mm-hmm. uh style so there's a, so a number of these you know differences um come into play um, and, uh, so, you know, w- helping them figure out how to really, um, spend more time really getting to know each other and establishing uh, psychological safety so that you have the kind of capacity to take on whatever the challenges are, um, more directly in ways that leave people feeling kind of engaged and, and, you know, interested in being part of it.
0: So, well, I don't know what I just heard, uh, Laurie was that even at Yale, In a global leadership course, relationships matter. (laughs) That's what I heard. (laughs) Uh, David, so being a psychologist, working in, in a prestigious institution and being exposed to a lot of different ideas, what led you to write a book about accountability?
3: Yeah, so it kind of, um, in a way, it sort of happened by accident. I didn't set out to write a book about accountability, but I was recruited to um, create some content for an executive mm. education um, program on accountability. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, let us let me look into accountability. Um, to be honest, it wasn't one of my favorite topics prior to this because...
0: I don't think the- it's anybody's favorite topic.
3: <laughs> right, right. So you know, a a lot of my own associations with accountability were not entirely positive. Mm -hmm. And, um, and as I looked at sort of some of the existing models of accountability, they seemed a little bit sterile to me. They Mm. weren't really taking into account what makes us human and what really motivates us. And so, um, so I ended up, you know, sort of doing some research and then sort of thinking about like, well, what do we actually need to do accountability better? And that ended up becoming, um, the connect framework, um, which is, you know, we can talk more about that, but that's, that's, that's kind of how it ended up happening. So, so, um, I taught this as a, I taught the contents of the book in a program for a number of years. And then the folks who commissioned the work also off, have, have a publishing arm, um, mm. Association for Talent Development.
0: I was gonna say, I saw it was an ATD press book, yeah.
3: Yeah, so um ATD came back to, to me and said, hey, you know, we've been wanting to do a book about accountability for a couple of years, and I think, you know, we'd like to invite you to do that. And I was like, okay, sure, why not?
2: So- Awesome.
0: So, Conscious Accountability, that's the title of the book. And I love the subhead, Deepen Connections, elevate results. Again, it's pushing on that connectivity there. Um, what are the key differences between conscious accountability and traditional notions of accountability?
3: Yeah, great question. So, um account so I call this traditional notions of accountability, I call it accountability 1.0, um, with the idea that, you know, conscious accountability is really kind of like hopefully an upgrade from 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 there. So, in accountability 1.0, the focus is often on results right? Did you do the thing or not? Did we hit our numbers this quarter or not? You know, it's very, very much focused on the results and on the goal. Conscious accountability encourages us to broaden the lens to not just focus on results, but also on relationships. So, so we're, we're still looking at, did we, you know, did we hit our marks? Did we reach our goal? But we're also asking the question, how did our relationships fare? in working mm-hmm. towards our goals mm-hmm. and so it's really kind of like two outcomes we're trying to optimize there both um mm-hmm. you know getting things done but also making sure that um, we're building our relationships not burning through them so at the end of whatever we did we're like i never want to do that with those people again. <laughs> you know?
4: that's we have a we have a performance management matrix where you're actually assessing on, on two axes. One is what you accomplished. And then the other is how you accomplished it. And so that really gets to core values and the quality of your relationships. And did you leave a trail of dead bodies in achieving that great result? Um, right. And the the fact that you can you can be a high performer in what and not in how, and that needs to be addressed. You can also be a high performer in how But not in what equally something that needs to be addressed
3: yeah Yeah. we have we have names for these archetypes we call um the person who's good at the the what but not the how is the hard driver Mm -hmm. uh, that gets results but maybe leaving that trail of bodies Mm -hmm. um the person who's good at the how but not the what we call the harmonizer um you know they're great at creating harmony but maybe not always so good at making sure that the results happen. They'll prioritize harmony over results. Mm-hmm. Um, the person who is neither um, good at results or, <laughs> or the how we call the neutralist. That's kind of like, well, you know, you know, that's maybe kind to call them that. Do, do no harm, get no results. Okay. <laughs> right. right. I'm sure there's lots of names we could come up with for, for folks in that, in that category, but that's what we called that. And then the conscious performer, the one that is in that sort of, um, upper right of getting both, you know, results and relationships, checking
0: both those boxes.
2: Love it.
0: I love it. It's good stuff. Um, you know, as you were talking, sorry, go ahead.
3: Oh, I was just going to say if it, um, the two another way that conscious accountability is different from account, conscious from accountability 1.0 a lot of times and this goes along with our sort of relationship orientation that we're kind of building on here. Um, in, in accountability 1.0 it's accountability is often thought of as like an individual responsibility. like you've got the things you have to be accountable for. I have to I have the things I need to be accountable for. and as long as I sort of stay in my lane and focus on the things that I have to do, then we're good. Whereas conscious accountability, particularly when we're thinking about a shared goal that we're trying to reach together, accountability is always shared. It's not just anyone's individual. I mean, of course, we all have individual responsibilities, but we also have shared accountability for making Mm -hmm. things happen. And so um, so it's really like we think of it as a team sport, not an individual sport. and then the last piece is that um, accountability 1.0. Oftentimes, when something goes wrong, as it inevitably does, um, accountability 1.0 asks, "Well, who needs to be held accountable for this?" Right? Blame. Blame. Right. There's an orientation towards blame, and um, conscious accountability has a different asks different questions. Who's responsible for making it better? Mm. And and what can we learn from this? so it's it's Powerful. like a, a learning orientation um first and foremost as opposed to a blame orientation so i just oh. wanted to sort of like lay out those those basic those basic differences
0: i love it it's it's like you sensed my next question because i was going to ask about that we see this all the time in teams that that we've worked with over the years the the idea that if it doesn't go to plan which to your point inevitably it doesn't go to plan you know who who's to blame We I've worked in organizations where they used phrases like we're looking for the one throat to choke. Like that's that's a thing that was common in meetings that people would talk about that. Who is the one throat to choke? Yeah. Let me sign up for that. I'll raise my hand first (laughs) to be the throat that gets choked. Um, But in it's funny you mentioned the the hard drivers. We call those sometimes brilliant jerks. Um, people who get results, uh, but leave the trail of, of proverbial dead bodies in their wake. If that person is leading the team, that blame culture can arise. Even if he, de- the, the leader doesn't intend it because right. it's the perception of their leadership style. Right? Um, That's right. So when you think about this, this idea of, of, of conscious accountability being more of a, of a social awareness vibe, how do you transition a team that's been doing 1.0 and 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 has admitted that hey, postmortems and one throat to choke doesn't work, we need to do something different. How do you get them to buy into this notion of more of a of a social basis?
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, you know, we will emphasize with teams that are maybe um not not entirely bought in is the idea that because um, because one of the one of the areas that you might hear in terms of pushback is like, um, well, this doesn't seem very efficient. All this relationship building. Right. Right. This, it's, this, soft is like, anyway.
0: right it's soft anyway. Nobody cares Soft.
3: We're we, you know, we're wasting time. We need to just get to the get to the matter here. Yeah. Um, the truth is, is that it's actually more efficient to build relationships on the front end and to work to take the extra time that it takes to get to clarity. Um, and not just sort of like, I said it, so it's clear, right? That's actually <laughs> not how clarity happens. Right. Um, and uh. so, um, you know, so it takes it it there's like negotiation to get to really shared expectations and mm-hmm. real buy-in. But when you take the time to do that and you set the conditions for the team to become successful, you 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 have a much easier time downstream in terms of what follows. It's, there's there's a lot less um, places where things kind of um, kind of go off the rails and 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 when they do sort of diverge you can quickly pull them back to where they need to be. Um, if you haven't done that groundwork, I've this is where I've seen teams really get stuck because they can't talk about it very well.
0: Yes,
4: that's yeah. yeah my my biggest soapbox that I carry around <laughs> is around. High trust relationships, and the more you invest in those, the more efficient you become. The more grace is granted to people yes. having a, a bad day or a making a mistake, right? The assumptions are assuming positive intent, intent instead of sabotage, right? All of those things, and it's it's those investments in the in the high trust relationships that yield enormous results, and very obviously big detriment when you have low trust relationships, all of that stuff tanks. And it's just, it's not fun and it's frustrating and it's upsetting. And it has all of these other ripple effects of of wasted time and poor product and all of that.
3: All of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So you have a model and it's called connect and it makes a lovely acrostic. Um, Tell us a little bit about connect. What are the practices, mindsets and strategies that go into this framework?
3: Sure. So um, we chose connect for two reasons. One is with the idea of consciousness. You can think about consciousness as like a network of connections, like connecting the dots, like when Mm -hmm. when we become more aware, we kind of connect the dots between things we might not have thought about. The other the other use of connect, of course, is in the the idea that this is a this is an interpersonal kind of approach to accountability and so it emphasizes and draws on our connection to one another so so connect is an acronym acronym that's we have seven practices the first is creating clarity so um that is establishing clear goals and shared expectations and again um you know it sounds simple enough but um given that language is actually symbolic um, you know, uh, you know, it's, we, we say things, but they're always subject to interpretation. Um, and oftentimes people nod and say, yes, I understand. But then when they actually get to the thing, mm-hmm. they're not as clear as they thought they were, or, um, they realize they don't have what they needed. So they're there. So right away, like how we create clarity is really, um, is really important. Um. So and, and you can't be accountable to something if you weren't really clear on what you were being accountable to and what your role was in creating that. So so that's why we sort of start with with that practice kind of, um, you know, we think about putting that right right up front. Yeah. Um, the second practice is called opening up engagement um, by that. We mean sort of thinking about building commitment um, and also building psychological safety. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, these are both important conditions for teams and groups of people to be successful together is being, um, being committed. And so that, that often, um, means understanding the larger why, like Mm. what is the purpose? Mm -hmm. Um, people can get very, um, often motivated and, and, and excited about things the the idea that's bigger than any of us that we're all working for together. Um, if you can sort of create that alignment and help people understand their role in creating success, that can be um, that can be very motivating for folks. Um, and then psychological safety is really you know creating an environment where people feel comfortable giving voice right. to um, the things that can be hard to talk about sometimes, right? Like the errors, the mistakes that happened, pushing back, being you know disagreeing, or mm-hmm. um, you know sharing a different point of view or saying, um, asking questions like, I don't have the answer or I need help. All of these things you know, um, rely on an environment where you feel like you're not gonna get dinged or lose face because, mm-hmm. because, of, because of these, or, or worse, right? Have like repercussions for saying right. the thing that's hard to say. Mm-hmm. And leaders can do a lot. Um, to, to, to sort of model by be, by willing to be vulnerable themselves. Yeah. Um, seeing time and time again in, in teams and in, in groups, um, that vulnerability begets vulnerability, but somebody mm-hmm. has to go first.
0: Oh, hundred percent. So it seems like creating clarity and opening up engagement. This is like, I don't know. It sounds to me like this is the butter in the pan. This is what, what <laughs> makes the environment really susceptible to being able to practice conscious accountability. Uh, the, the next practice in the framework is called Nailing It. And I love that name, Nailing It. What does <laughs> it mean to nail it, David?
3: Simply doing what you say you'll do. So um, again, um, and sometimes that we think about that as related to like integrity, um, you know, and, and and being an accountable person is that, you know, having your words and your actions match. Um, it's, it's again, simple enough in, in concept, but as, as I'm sure we're all aware, um, we live in a world with so many competing commitments and also like what I like to call pop-up priorities, the thing that <laughs> it's kind of like comes up and suddenly like, oh my gosh, like we have to deal with this thing and it seems like it's on fire. And, um, how do we manage our, the, our existing commitments under those conditions? And how do we, you know, make sure that we get the thing we said we would do done or at least communicate and work with others to sort of mitigate against those those things that can get in the way.
0: Mm-hmm. So if we're not nailing it, I'm assuming that the second N here, noticing. Is where that starts. Mm-hmm. What is well, noticing?
3: Yeah, so noticing is kind of like as we're working to nail it together. It's not necessarily if we're not nailing it, but, but, okay. but as we're working together to, to, nail it, um, it's really a noticing is about, um, kind of paying attention to your own experience. So noticing yourself, noticing, what are you feeling? What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? And then also noticing what's going on with your teammates and the people around you and paying attention, you know, is everybody seem like they're okay. Anybody seem like they need a little support. and um or is there anything that seems off in any way? and checking in, being willing to kind of give voice to your noticings with compassion and curiosity, not just love that. Mm-hmm. So it's really about offering check-ins along the way that allow for conversations that could result in a course correction or um or offering support. And so if done in the wrong way, it, this can feel like what? don't you trust me?
2: Mm-hmm. You know, like
3: why are you checking up on me? But if it's done in the right way, it actually feels super supportive. and like, I'm not in this alone. I actually have people who who notice that I'm here doing this thing and and actually care about us doing this together.
0: What I love about that is it's it's part of the framework. it's It's an expectation. I think sometimes that you know noticing when when you get caught uh, or or somebody notices something, if I don't expect you to say something about it, it can be slightly off-putting, right? I can be defensive when receiving it. Right. Um, versus basically saying that if we're practicing this notion of conscious accountability, it's just part of the process. That's right. It's expected.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's there's space for that. Um, <laughs> I, I love that. And I like the the E in connect is exchanging feedback. And I thought that was an interesting way to frame it with, exchanging being the the primary focus there Um, because when we think of feedback everybody's favorite topic it's not really about a a a conversation it's about receiving some crappy news that i don't want to receive that's kind of how we 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 internalize the the notion of feedback and i think as humans we tend to shy away from that because we remember the negative feedback more than the positive but this encourages an exchange talk a little bit about that if you would
3: Sure. Um, yeah, to, exactly. To your point, a, a lot of times feedback is done like, you know, you know, you, you, it's like serving the goulash. Like, here's your feedback. Wah. You know, like you want <laughs> fries with that. It's like it, it's just a one way conversation that's pushed at you. Mm-hmm. Um, exchanging feedback encourages um, actually pulling feedback towards you which is a whole different experience. So the idea of like, so, so, you know, I encourage us the idea of soliciting feedback as the first step. Not scary, David. That's super scary.
4: So that goes right to demonstrate vulnerability.
3: Right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And so and if you've and if you've built safety, if you've mm-hmm. really doubled down on on psychological safety and opening up engagement, by the time we're having conversation, part of what we can be asking is, is, you know, um, you know, how do we want to do feedback together? How could we do that in a way that actually supports you? Mm-hmm. Um and that gives you the information you need to get better because we all need feedback to grow, to learn, to improve. We, The thing we can never know about ourselves is the impact we're having on someone else. We cannot know that wow. without feedback from someone else. So the only way to get better at relationships, which are so individual in some ways, is by, is by being able to invite and have those conversations, But but we have to be able to make them less threatening. One way to do that is by, is by asking and also framing feedback as a gift. Um, and, and the idea, because like, and it's really true. One executive I worked with, I don't know if you've had this experience guy in his fifties at the time, went through a three hundred and sixty process and, um, you know, got some pretty pointed feedback in the process about what he was doing that wasn't working. And he thought, and he said almost tearfully to me. I wish someone had told me this in my late twenties. Oh,
2: yeah,
3: right. Like, how would my career have been different? Mm-hmm. The, the 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 promotions I got passed over for, the clients that the things that didn't materialize as mm-hmm. a result. You know, like, and he was really like, I wish I I had gotten this. So, so feedback is is really. Can be a game changer. But again, how do we create the conditions where people are more open to asking for it, to receive it and to offer it?
4: And I think that's such a, that's such a um, unique to each person, their level of comfort, giving or receiving feedback is very unique. And So, trying to get to some equilibrium of those expectations, some people are already there. Some people want a ton more. Some people are freaked out, right? And so, as a leader, it's it's hard to kind of calibrate that to to get everybody into a safe space around that. But, and and I think that, in my experience, the best way to do that is by doing little bits very often, right? Yes. Just little things on a regular basis so that they're small things for feedback, not I've saved up a month's worth or a year's worth.
0: <laughs> years worth. Oh my God.
4: Lay this it's out. It's annual review way. time. <laughs> and you can't even metabolize that, that. Right. No. Yeah.
3: That's right. No. And, 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 you can also do it like at the team level. So when we, so like the after action review, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, so, mm-hmm. you know, like
0: I like what that we- name better than post-mortem, which I yeah. hear a lot.
4: We call them retrospectives.
0: I, that's <laughs> also a nice name. Nobody had to die for this.
3: Exactly. To happen right. <laughs> yes. um, so actually, you know, and that and that gets us to the next practice, which is claiming it, and that's about owning the results. So in, in order to own our results, we have to first know what our results were. So we have mm-hmm. to be like, you know, open to getting that feedback and to sort of measuring mm-hmm. how we're doing. But then to sort of look at those results and say what was the root cause here um you know what what led to our success that we want to um kind of repeat and and bring forward and what are some of the things that we would change or try Mm -hmm. differently based on you know based on everything that happened so it's it's and and when we claim our results we offer um we share the success with other people and we and we take responsibility for the things that didn't go well but with an eye towards learning And improvement, which brings us to the last practice, which is trying again, we pull all that learning forward and and apply it to the next, whatever the next quarter, the next project, the next team meeting even. Um, And so it becomes hopefully this um, kind of virtuous cycle of of continuous
0: improvement. Mm -hmm. So much good stuff in there.
4: Yeah, I love in the claiming it that you've got, and I think this is a direct result of creating clarity, right? If you've created the clarity and you know what your milestones or your ultimate is, then you can say, you know, have a more of an objective way of measuring it, which then becomes easier for people to assess feedback and what we learned. And because it's not one person's subjective assessment, it was an agreed upon path That was well communicated and kind of dealt with throughout. And so I think that that helps bring that practice to a satisfying place for everyone. Even if even if you missed all your targets, but if the learning is super clear about not doing that again, that's hugely valuable rather than being paralyzed and not wanting to try anything different for fear of repercussions.
3: That's right. That's right. It actually frees up um, people to um to learn from failure mm-hmm. which is i think we actually learn much more from failure right. than we do from success right yep
0: it's it's funny it makes me think when we do a a an, a new engagement we go through a discovery process and we talk to a bunch of people and ask a bunch of questions and one of the questions i like to ask is is it okay to fail here and the response i get looks like this absolutely 100% <laughs> Right. It's, it, it's not okay to fail. And, and whether that's real or, or myth, it doesn't matter. It's, it's mm-hmm. one of those perception is reality, you know, sort of razors that people have to live with. And, and I think if, if, if they're not comfortable to your point about psychological safety, um, if they don't believe in their hearts that it's okay to fail, then they're going to sandbag at some point, they're going to shy away from giving feedback that needs to be given. From having the conversation that needs to be had. That's right. So, so how and, can we courageously step into that space and offer and you know ultimately receive feedback? Yeah.
4: And, and I have a layered question to that that maybe you can help with, David, especially from the psychological perspective. Because I think there's an organizational culture around failure learning punitive what's what's the orientation there and people have either a personal experience or the lore of what came before right so there's a cultural element there there's also an individual level of people who are way towards the perfectionist spectrum right or way towards the the high achiever spectrum right. cannot see failure as a learning opportunity it just feels yes. like failure So how do you, you might have a culture that's willing to be very gracious about what we learned from this, but you have individuals who have a a really big internal barrier to, to being okay with that space. Like what, how do you pull those together?
3: Yeah. I often, I mean, I don't know if you talk with folks a lot about growth mindset about Mm how Having a growth mindset, Dweck. And,
4: mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, Carol Dweck's work. I mean, I I find that so useful in helping people. And and the mm-hmm. idea too is that you can have a growth mindset this morning, and then by the afternoon, or you mm-hmm. know, or you know, or the other way, a, a fixed mindset this morning, and then by the afternoon, you've 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 opened, you've softened, and opened to more of a growth mindset. Like it's mm-hmm. not like you're a fixed mindset person or right. you're a growth mindset person, right? right. So like even that like we have the, the capability, um, you know, to change it. And, and like, you know, I have examples myself in my own life of like, you know, like um, getting some, um, n- you know, negative feedback from a client about, and then feeling like, well, what's wrong with them that they didn't appreciate my brilliance? Like, and then being like, okay, well, let's take a closer look at this. And, right.
2: yeah. and then
3: realizing, oh, actually, they have some points here like i can see why they would experience that and then like having some conversations what could make this better how could we and then mm-hmm. coming back at it and then having it go much better but that if i stopped with the right well, you know the 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 righteous indignation and sort of being closed to to learning from feedback you know it would have ended there and 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 mm-hmm. i probably would have ended the engagement you know or might not have gotten another chance
4: right right yeah
3: so I mean so I can I can relate to that that concern around failure. I do think again that we can distinguish between small f failure and large f failure. Mm. And that and that people don't necessarily distinguish between the two. You know mm. that we 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 fail all the time and and we 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 in terms of, you know, um making mistakes or things not going exactly as we thought they would or um but that doesn't mean we've we failed in some global sense of the word.
2: Right, so right. helping
3: people sort of make that distinction. Um, uh, but you're right; it's, it can be challenging. Like some people, could, you know, are, um, you know, really see themselves. Their own sort of sense of self-esteem is right. like very much wrapped up in yeah. um, their their sense of performance on a given task.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right David, one more question for you before we open it up to Q&A from the Peanut Gallery here. Um frameworks are great, ideas are wonderful, but what's one thing in the real world that leaders can do to begin to implement this idea, these practices of conscious accountability? How do we start?
3: Yeah, I think um one of the things that I've noticed and I don't know if you've noticed this as well. Um whether it's whether it's my my um my students um, who are, you know, by and large, like very driven, very high achieving kind of folks or working with executives who are very much often the same way um, that we've become like human doings, you mm-hmm. know, human, human doing oh, machines. I love that, are, that phrase. Right? Mm-hmm. Like we're just we're we're, we're just on our to do list all day long and just kind of powering through one thing after the next and, and just fighting the clock to get all of the things done. And the spoiler
0: alert, the clock wins. You can't beat the <laughs> clock.
3: We only get those 24 hours. That's it. Like, that's all there is, right? We have all the time there is. But but if we can, so I think that the, the one thing that leaders can start to do is to appreciate the value of creating time for reflection. Yes, because there's so much available in terms of what we can learn, and also getting clearer on what we want, how we feel, what our intentions are—like the whole consciousness part of conscious accountability—doesn't um, really come to fruition unless we create space for more deliberate um, kind of reflection. And and there's and it doesn't have to be you know going on retreat for a week you know we can build in moments of reflection throughout our day where we check in with ourselves where we think about all right what is it that i'm trying to create here and and that just allows us to be a little bit more intentional and thoughtful um rather than just being in that sort of churning through the endless um the endless list of things that never. Yeah, ends.
0: but David, I got real work to do. I don't have time to do this hippy dippy stuff thinking about <laughs> myself, and, right? I, I, I can feel that that pushback, but I, I totally get it right. And making those those taking moments, right? Whether it's blocking 15 minutes on your calendar or just thinking about it as you walk to the car or, or, or whatever you're doing, doing that intentionally has a profound effect.
4: And, it, and maybe that's something that as leaders, right, when we have our one-on-ones or when we have our team meetings, maybe that's an intentional thing that we can model in those kinds of conversations okay. that maybe don't come naturally to people. Or even if I have to put my sticky note on my laptop that says, be intentional for five minutes, right? But that, <laughs> but that becomes a, a pattern that's created to where, you know, I, I had a, a manager at one point where whenever we would have our big, like you know, monthly two-hour big meeting, he would spend 20 minutes checking in with every person around the room about how are you feeling? What are you walking in the door with? What is mm-hmm. keeping you up at night? Or he would have a, a a word and or everybody had to pick a word to describe a thing. And it wasn't, let's get right into the agenda and check off our list. It's like, let's be present here with these other humans. And- right. Um, and he was a finance guy, right? So there's, wow. you don't even have to go around <laughs> stereotypes here, It, but it, but it really made a difference in terms of the rest of that meeting, people were checked in and they were paying attention and the, the temperature of the room dropped and the blood pressure of the room dropped because it, people just acknowledged it. So, you know, maybe, you know, in terms of trying to create this kind of atmosphere, the, the leader has, has so much modeling that has such an impact, and maybe those those are small ways to do it. Just,
3: absolutely, I, yeah. I absolutely agree with that. I, you know, we talk about that in terms of setting the tone, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. tone gets set, and then often that becomes the default pattern. But mm-hmm. if you don't, def- if you actually do that consciously, like, what is the tone that I want to set? What is the, you know, th- that, you know, what do I want to kind of create in terms of how we work? And if you if you if you do that deliberately, again, what follows from it um, will, will be will will be different. And, and you can design that more um, as opposed to having it be sort of something that's unconscious. Awesome.
4: I've heard the phrase that um, the the leader brings the weather right just in your even just your nonverbal. What's the look on your face and the way you're carrying yourself when you walk in the door? People feel it. And then it becomes, here's the tone, right? And our our CEO said that he started a practice where when he drives into the parking lot before he leaves his car, he gets his mind right, right? He's like, this is how I'm gonna walk in the door because everyone who sees me walk through the building is gonna feel whatever my countenance is.
3: That's right. It's like clear (laughs) out those storm clouds. Yeah, yeah. Let's create clear skies here.
2: (laughs) Right, yeah.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Listeners, if you haven't listened to the Phil McKinney episode of The Bartender, that is a fantastic episode. And it's going back a couple of years now. Um, Before we open to questions, David, if people want to bring conscious accountability into their organizations or get this book, where do they find you? How do they connect?
3: Um, You can uh, uh, find us at www.consciousgrowthpartners.com um and can learn more about the book there as well as uh, the services that we offer.
0: Fantastic. All right, anybody have any questions for David? So many things here in this conversation that I love. David Tate is officially my favorite person from March 2023 at this point in time. <laughs> I know Ruby has a question. She's already <laughs> off mute.
2: <laughs> no, just like um it connects with Morag's comment. She said loving this so much synergy. My mind is kind of exploding a little bit, connecting it to, you know, the models that we teach, the models that we've written about. Um, In our book, we talk about what does it mean to be an ally, to show up as an ally to your coworkers, to be a friend to others at work. And we've also recently started more deeply exploring, well, what does it mean to be an ally to yourself? Um, and the first component, the first practice, we call them practices, is abundance and generosity. And it just really hit home when you talk about, um, spending time with yourself because that's abundance and generosity to yourself that reflection time and um and to help me be a good leader i've got to spend time with myself so that i do know what my values are what i care about where i'm headed who i want to be as a leader um and then thinking about from a team perspective being accountable to my team i do need that to spend time just from abundance perspective be with people not just the doing so i just wanted to like double underline your comment and I just love all of your work and it connects to a lot of the things that we teach. So thank you for your research and, and just all the work that you've done in this field.
3: Oh, thanks Ruby. I appreciate that.
0: Awesome. I
2: have a question.
0: Yeah, go ahead, Laurie.
4: (laughs) (laughs) David, do you have any, in in all of your wanderings through psychology and, and leadership and all of that, do you, um, Do you integrate any kind of personality assessments into Mm. when you're working with teams to kind of help understand those those individual preferences or tendencies or derailers to help a team kind of figure out these paths to connect?
3: Yes, um, I do, in fact. So there's a bunch of different um, tools that I use, and I may, you know, really try to be thoughtful about choosing the right tool for the right situation. Um, One that I use a lot is called the Needling Brain Instrument, uh, the NBI, and it measures thinking style preferences. Um, And, um, and it's, it's a really neat uh, measure It it, it, there's no kind of like, it's based on uh, brain science research, it identifies sort of actually um, four primary um, preferences for how we think um it it looks as the brain is a metaphor for thought and so you can have sort of more people who are more cognitive in their approach more emotional in their approach more left brain sort of like logical sort of focused attention processing versus right brain which is more global processing so those 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 distinctions yield these four different styles and you can help people understand their styles, how they may be different from their teammates. Mm
2: -hmm. And
3: and also um, the idea that it takes a whole, a team needs a whole brain to actually work. So like, how how do we actually get that diversity of thought and really leverage different thinking styles to create the best, most innovative solutions?
4: I love that. I think that, and just going through that process when I've worked with teams around, pick your flavor of assessment, Um, just the process of first self-awareness going, oh, that's almost eerie how well that describes me. Right. And then moving on to understanding other people and that whole concept of like, oh, David, isn't trying to piss me off every day.
2: By the <laughs> way,
4: he does XYZ. That's right. I mean, his might default you view know. of the world, right? Right, <laughs> exactly. But, and it's different than mine, which we can leverage for each other for the good, right? That right. once we understand that and we have tolerance or even appreciation for that, and right, the building of the trust and the opening the engagement, all of those things, I think. Um, go so such a long way in helping us see each other as whole human beings. And then you can get to how do we create clarity and how do we benchmark our results and how do we debrief uh, feedback, yeah.
3: That's right. No, I think I think there's a lot of those tools go a long way towards that building greater awareness of ourselves and of each other and of the team as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so I like to often start, um, you yeah. know, in, in that way.
4: Yeah, it's also, it can be a a good way to onboard new members of the team, right? By Mm -hmm. kind of understanding this, this new person's coming in and let's share all of these dynamics with each other with this new person. So they get off on the right foot and everybody's, you know, come uh, singing from the same sheet of music.
3: That's right. That's right. And I've had some companies that really like use the, use some of these tools as part of their onboarding process and really helping kind of almost designing work to fit people's preferences so that if they're working inside their preferences, they're, they're usually, Um, you know, they have a greater sort of sense of ease and flow with their, with their work and it it tends to go better. So there's a lot of ways to use this stuff, but I love, I love that idea of onboarding people.
0: I love it. Awesome. His name is David Tate. His book is called Conscious Accountability. You can find him at consciousgrowthpartners.com. If you have questions for David or want to connect, do reach out and, uh, Let's get on into our end of show. David, you are welcome to stay at the end of the bartender. We do three things. They are funny things. It's a good feel story and it's a goofy cocktail. It takes about five minutes to go through. (laughs) If you want to hang out, you're welcome to hang out. If not, do what you got to (laughs) do. We'll shift into funny things. Funny thing number one. This made me laugh because I sang the song when I read the when I read the tweet. I think the guy that really cared when jimmy cracked corn otherwise he wouldn't have written a whole song about it. <laughs> he did care he wrote a whole song <laughs> this one made me laugh remembering this on international women's day oh you're a feminist name every woman this guy said whitney houston I'm every woman. That's yes. what she <laughs> Uh, We had an episode a little while ago about the management practices of Elon Musk, and this one made me laugh. That feeling when you find out you would have to pay $100 million if you fired the guy you just fired. I would like to apologize to Holly for my misunderstanding of a situation. It was based on things that I was told that were untrue or in some cases true, but not meaningful. He is considering remaining at Twitter. In in uh, Sky Team speak, Ruby and I say, "Yeah, whoops, whoops, <laughs> <laughs> big whoops." <laughs> uh, funny thing number four. One thing we got exactly right is making sure that every kid learns how to play the recorder. Probably yes. the most beautiful sounding instrument ever
2: created. <laughs> I totally want to get one again. <laughs> oh, I'm
4: sure we have two in our house. Okay, I would like it. Get a kazoo.
0: <laughs> and being an American, you will appreciate this. Scheduling a meeting, American. I'm having brain surgery tomorrow from two to five, but I can do 515 tomorrow yes. if that works.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> European. Tomorrow is the 789th anniversary of the local cheesemaker setting up shop in our town, which is a three-day holiday, but I can do next week. my favorite funny thing my favorite funny thing this week hey man don't be named that don't be named gibson (laughs) jimerson don't be named that um today's good feel story it's steve hartman he's gonna tell you a story that you're gonna like just like every week
4: finally tonight CBS's Steve Hartman goes on the road with a high school football star who's using lessons from his painful past to give others a brighter future.
1: When Lincoln East High School football phenom, wide receiver Malachi Coleman, announced he'd be playing for Nebraska next season, it was the completion of the ultimate Hail Mary. 12 years earlier, Malachi's mother left him and his younger sister by the side of the road and never returned. Malachi suffered abuse in the foster system until eventually he and his sister were adopted by a loving family. But so much damage had been done. He was a broken kid. Parents, Miranda and Craig Coleman.
2: Like he lived for today and
0: only today and nothing mattered.
1: A mean and selfish jerk by his own admission who refused to do anything kind for anybody. Yeah, because nobody had really helped me up to that point, you know? So why should you help them? Yeah. So when the Nebraska School Activities Association ruled that high school athletes could now profit off their name and likeness, it came as no surprise that Malachi was first in line. The shocker was how he planned to spend it.
2: Never could have predicted.
1: No, it was his idea. They say Malachi walked into this local restaurant and offered to promote a burrito. On condition a portion of the profits go to one cause. Put it towards um, advocating for the foster care system. Nick Maestas is the owner. How would you not want to be on board with that? This kid's remarkable transformation actually began a few years earlier after an hour-long argument in which Miranda insisted he do something selfless.
2: Uh, Yeah, I threw out at least a hundred ideas of things he could do and exasperated. I finally said, what about
1: holding a door? Can you hold one door for one person? And he finally just like, I can hold a door. The next day at school, he held a door, then another and another. At church, he held the door for the entire congregation. Till now, he says kindness it's his passion. I'm his name. So you're saying all this charity stemmed from you holding a door for someone? Yes, because once I realized how good it makes me feel to help other people, it's just something that I knew that I wanted to continue in my life. Hopefully opening many more of the most important doors, the ones leading to a forever family.
2: <laughs>
1: Steve Hartman, on the road, in Lincoln, Nebraska
4: so good steve
0: hartman Mm -hmm. every time i gotta tell you he gets you every time thank you to david tate for being here like i said my favorite person from march of 2023 Mm -hmm. conscious accountability is his book consciousgrowthpartners.com is where you find him thank you for being here with us today thanks for all of you for joining Go get some dinner. It is Wednesday. It is dinner time, and we will see you next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks,
4: David.
0: Have Have a great time. Take care. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team. Com. Thanks again, and remember, you've always
2: got friends at The Corporate Bartender.